This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Listening to this, you are probably a, a pretty big fan of the team, which means you probably watched their effort on Sunday night against the Sacramento Kings, which means I know the answer to how you're doing, and it is probably not very well. Uh, Jeremy Cohen, of course, is here with me. He is my usual guest for these Sunday conversations. Jeremy, I would ask how you're doing, but I don't want to start off the show on a negative note. So instead, I will ask, um, how did it go? Uh, going to the laundromat uh, before this podcast started. Was it a good visit to the laundromat? It was the highlight of my day. Um, was it really now? No, no, it wasn't. The highlight of my day was I actually went to Fifth Avenue and I cheered on the marathon runners. Oh, and nice. That's cool. It was a lot of fun because they had a DJ there and it was really just awesome to high five people and cheer them on as they run 26.2 miles. Insane to me, but if you're listening, you did this. Congrats. Or just if you've run a marathon or if you've run more than, you know, 20 minutes, it's, it's great. You I, know. I, my, the longest I've ever ran in one, one go of it was, um, I ran outside at least I've run, I ran 10 miles on a treadmill once, but that's like cheating. Um, I ran 8.5 miles at one time outside. That's my long. And it was, it was, um, it was pretty grueling. But I, yeah, it gave me a a respect for people who do the marathon. I lived on 65th and 1st for a year, um, and I had a roof deck. So we got to see the marathoners, like, come up first day. I mean, that was pretty cool. Yeah, Um, this will play into a a talking point later on. But when I was a kid, (laughs) we had a -a jogathon to raise money for we had an all-school trip. And on Riverside, there was this oval-shaped thing, you know, track. And eight laps around it was a mile. And I did 103, and I, I think it's like about 13 miles. And this is in the span of a few hours. And they gave out medals to the people who came in first, second, and third. Oh, that's nice. And I came in fourth by one lap. I can't, you know, so I missed out on a medal. But um, something tells me we're going to go back to endurance and uh, tweens and teens running a very long time. Um. I think that is well said. All right, I, we, we've we've gone as long as we can, um, avoiding talking about the Knicks. But <laughs> this is a Knicks podcast, so the time has come. Um, let's talk quickly about the game tonight. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor. Uh, what do you want to say about the Knicks' effort tonight against Sacramento? Pitiful, just just disgustingly pitiful. You know, I mean. 
I understood why Fizz is trying to mix and match lineups and rotations accordingly, but it it just didn't seem like Portis, Randall, and Morris was really the right solution. I don't know. And even Clyde said during the broadcast that I don't know. You know, Mike Randall and Morris just isn't a great pairing, and he's right. It just seems like the Knicks are trying every single thing other than splitting those two up and seeing if they can find good combinations because they just don't want to break the two up because that means one has to come off the bench. And do you want the guy you just signed who's going to be leaving, who you want to keep his trade value up as you become one in six? Or do you want to bench him or do you want to bench Randall, the guy who's absolutely struggling but is supposed to be your star player? And it just seems like they're going to keep looking at other alterations and instead of just doing the, something that should be tried out prior to you know, an enormous front court where you're swapping out Mitch for Portis. And I, I do get, you know, Mitch hasn't been great. I think you could even say he hasn't been very good or good. Um, he's had his moments, of course, and you're swapping out. He looked good tonight. Off. He looked good he tonight on defense he especially. He looked good, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, you know, maybe for right now that's his role, but I don't, I don't know if swapping out him for Portis is the right move exactly because it's, yes, you're trying to, open up your offense because it's incredibly cramped and spacing's poorer with Mitch, but the whole, everyone just seemed off except for Morris. And even then I feel like if he, he took a, he was 64% from the floor tonight, which is great, but if yeah, he but a lot of those shots were yeah, right. I, and I get that they went in and I'm, I'm, I mean, God knows he's the last person that deserves any blame for tonight. Exactly. But, um, but, it, but the thing that I kept thinking was even if he misses a few of those shots, um, we're going from, wow, Marcus Morris is having a great game to, I can't believe this dude just will not really pass yeah. the ball. Um, uh, <laughs> so here's how I'm going to intro this, this, my take from <laughs> this game. It's so we're, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, Big picture concerns for the Knicks, I think, as they um, make their way to Detroit with a record of one and six, and we're going to hit all of those um, over the course of this episode. Um, just in terms of the lineup issue that you brought up, you know, it, <laughs> there's a. Um, tell me how ridiculous you think this is. There's a house um, about five minutes away from where I live in Massapequa Park in Long Island that already has up their Christmas decorations. That's pretty ridiculous, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Let's get through Thanksgiving first. Yes, exactly. Um, that said, it reminded me of, uh, my favorite Christmas movie and, um, my, maybe one of my two or three favorite comedies in general, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And I am in thinking about David Fisdale and his starting lineup machinations. It reminds me, and I, sh- I guess I should ask, you've seen this movie, right? I believe I- Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. If you needed to think about it for a half a sec, that's too No, long. I was trying to figure out which National Lampoon I've seen I, from the old ones, and uh, I've, seen, I've seen two or three of them. Okay. Well, this is the Christmas one, which, appropriately enough, features Clark Griswold um, putting up Christmas lights all over his entire house. And then he goes to turn them on. And they won't light up. And he goes and he goes on the roof and the walls and the whole thing. And he inspects literally every bulb of the house. Um, and then finally, his wife um, unwittingly realizes that uh, it is because the lights won't turn on because there's a switch in the garage that is not on. 
And I feel like David Fisdale right now is is Clark Griswold um, looking over light bulb after light bulb after light bulb, trying to find the answer. And the answer is not going to come. Um, and there's the problem here is that there's a, the switch for the Knicks. Um, it, it might be in the garage. It might be in the in the basement. It might be in a circuit breaker somewhere. But it's it's like locked. And that switch is, I think, in the form of um, a guard who can break down some stuff on offense and make a shot at the same time. And I just feel like I'm looking around the NBA and it's 2019 and it feels like, I don't know, 23, 25, 20, whatever other teams have that player. We obviously saw one of those guys tonight, Darren Fox. And the Knicks, just they just don't have that guy. And I, I, I think... You know, it's like inserting Bobby Portis into the starting lineup. Yeah, that makes sense. It it, it theoretically makes sense because it it does it should increase the spacing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I I just I don't know. You know, the, the, we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and the Knicks are going to be dead last in offensive rating, and there's going to be you know fire Fisdale uh, threads on Twitter, and there's going to be all kinds of other conversation about all kinds of different shit, and I just. I don't know. I don't know how. And, and I, I've been a Fisdale apologist, and it's getting tougher and tougher to be that. But I just don't know how fair that is with the fact that they just they don't have that guy. They don't have the engine. You know, they have a lot of other parts of the car. They don't have the engine. And um, what I don't know. What, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that because maybe I'm off base. Maybe I'm maybe I'm so like dead set on looking for an excuse. That I'm, I'm like failing to see the forest for the trees, but it, to me, tonight that was the biggest takeaway that I took from just in terms of like an on the floor like basketball execution standpoint. Forget about the fact that they came out and essentially, you know, let go of the rope. Um, just from an on court perspective, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, you know, I've been thinking a lot about coaches who are working on. In the similar stages as the Knicks are, rebuilding teams. Um, I look at Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta. He's done a fantastic job there. He had the benefit of Trey Young last season. Uh, I look at Kenny Atkinson, who did a pretty good job before D'Angelo Russell, and yet D'Angelo Russell really helped him there. Sacramento, I think you could say about Jaeger, and now um, with Walton, even though the Kings are two and five, it's it, they. Maybe it's because they played the Knicks, but. Or maybe it's because they've had a tough schedule. I, I'm really not they, sure, but they... they that's see- a deceiving... By the way, they're, that's, I know they were 1-5 with the lowest net rating in the league coming into tonight. They have been getting, like, incremental... They started off brutal. And then they were actually... They've been pretty decent. They've been coming, like, trending up the last couple of games. And they actually beat, like, a good Utah team their last game. So, a little bit of a misnomer that they were coming in 1-5. But anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah. But, I mean, of those teams, and then I guess you could say... Washington, but I, I mean, that's a that's a different situation because they also have, they're fortunate enough to have Beal, and or even the Suns. I mean, the Suns have more talent. I don't know if I'd necessarily call Ricky Rube. Well, I was watching the Suns play the Grizzlies last night, and I felt like all I saw was Ricky Rubio just get into the paint, yeah, at will. And but again, it's Ricky Rubio who got who is, has a fast, a better handle and a and a a quicker burst than anyone on the Knicks right now, as with the possible exception of Alonzo Trier, and we're going to talk about him. Um, 
And what is he doing when he's getting into the lane? He's he's surrounded by shooters. He's surrounded by Devin Booker and Dario Saric and and Kelly Oubre. And it's like that's that's a modern NBA offense. I mean, it's not the most talented players in the world other than other than Booker, but it's like it's the pieces fit. And then you look at the Knicks right now, and it's like I th- I you get why they signed Alfred Payton, right? And you get why they took a chance on Dennis Smith Jr. because they were looking for something, something, anything to make this thing go. And and me and you both love Frank Nilekina, but this is the one thing that he is not and and, and he's never going to be. So it's like, I I, I just, I don't know where they, where they go right now. Like, how did they, like, you watch the, the game against Boston two nights ago. How did they do that? Like they were decent on offense <laughs> against yeah. Boston, and it just felt like there was so much ball movement. But even that, it now looking back, it, like was that a mirage? Like did we imagine that? I I don't know. I don't. Know. I, I was so prepared to hop on this pod and talk about how this is the best I've felt about you know what I thought could have been two and five. Me too. Right. Me too. Like, like th- there's no reason to feel negative, and the the thing is that it feels like one game kind of completely colors that but that's really that's the cards we were dealt in terms of when we're recording and, and the game that happened but I think if you just take a step back you can examine that a few of those games were games the Knicks maybe shouldn't have been in and they were or you could just look at it the other way where it's like they were in it and they should have won because of x y and z like at the end of the day this season to me has always been just a very purgatory like year um, because as bad as it could be it it's not bereft of hope because there are enough there's enough talent on the roster and there's enough going into next year's draft where you're feeling like okay well it's just just take a step you know it doesn't have to be three steps or even two steps yeah. uh, just don't go backwards yeah even if you're losing games don't go backwards on the court make your your play everything that you're doing just feel like you're progressing and you know i mean on one hand you've got better talent than you had last year, right? So you're feeling a little but bit more hopeful. But, but that's such but, a misnomer, isn't it? Exactly. Because of how the talent doesn't fit with – not that it doesn't fit with the modern game. It's that you don't have that final piece to make it work in, yes. in the modern – Yeah, And right. you can't help but feel that the talent that was brought in, the majority of those guys are going to be shopped either before or at the deadline. So it's this weird clusterfuck of players that you're just – you're hoping come together and it takes time. And that's not really something that Fizdale has on his side. And I understand why, but a lot of times it feels like, is he coaching for his job or is he coaching because he feels this team can win? And I really don't know what the difference is between the two. It's kind of a, um, I don't know that there is a difference at this point, honestly, there may not be, but it seems like sometimes you have to, you have to see it in order to know which one it is. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 total. I think it comes down to largely the point guard position and what Fizdale wants to accomplish. Dallas Miko said it. Others have said it as well. Going into the season, that the Knicks just sorely lack good passers, as you were talking about, and it's totally true. And you know, I, I think the what it, what the biggest thing was what we saw with the Celtics. I think was when Frank was on Kemba, he scored three of his thirty three points, and the Knicks kept switching. And uh, I know that you felt it was more positive than not. I was very neutral. I thought, all right, try it out. It worked a little bit. They were at least close, but other times it really sucked to see Kemba get matched up on a big and he just destroyed them. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's like 
the Knicks aren't blessed with great defenders. They have some really nice pieces, but nothing that's going to stand out. And, and I don't think it's a cohesive unit in the slightest. So, you know, when Kemba got shut down, then it's not like the offense for Boston completely shut down as well, but it sputtered a bit. They had other guys to create, but it's not like um, it was able to move as as well as they wanted to. It wasn't this finely tooled or, you know, finely oiled machine. And yeah, I mean, we 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 can. I think we all agree that the biggest thing the Knicks need is that um, penetrative point guard or lead guard who can play on and off, who also can cover his ass defensively and who can pass. And it feels like that's a ton to ask for. But... Well, but we should say, um, we should say that with Alfred Payton on the floor, the Knicks do have a 112 offensive rating. I I think there's some noise with that because I um, I think I I forget if I texted somebody this or I, maybe I was texting Spencer that they're <laughs> so they're coming into tonight. This is this is quite a stat. Their offensive rating with Frank was literally 20 points lower than it is when, than it was with Peyton. And yet their assist rate with Frank was 15 percentage points higher than it was with Peyton. So they're, they're making clearly making a lot more baskets when Peyton's out there, but it's coming on more isolation type possessions. And I, I, I don't really know what to make of that other than, I I I don't I I don't even have anything to add. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, um, other than that, maybe a it's fool's gold a little bit. B it's um may, even if it even if the results are good, maybe the the process is is bad. So you don't want to stick with that. But again, we only saw Alfred Payton for for essentially what three and a half games. Um, so it's it's way too early to draw conclusions. I think. The thing that I'm going to take away from this and the Boston game in unison are that this the the margin for this team is so razor thin. And I know, you know, essentially if you look at their field goal percentage and their three-point field goal percentage tonight versus that that they had uh, uh, against Boston, it, it's it's they actually you know, it's kind of even. They shot 40% overall tonight, 25% from 3 against Boston. They were 40% overall, 37% from three. You know, I, I know they took some ill-advised shots in the first quarter when things really started to go get away from them. Um, but a lot of those shots were open. Um, and, and it's like, if they're not making, it's, it, it's, it sounds so trite to say, but if this team's not making open shots, it's like, what, you know, where, where do you go? from there because of, of the fact that like we've been saying they don't have anything to break down a defense hey guys rough night for the knicks but don't let that stop you from taking advantage of another way to make your sporting experience just a little bit more interesting and of course i'm talking about our friends at mybookie.ag uh if you go to mybookie.ag right now you can see all the current nba lines we already got a couple lines up for Monday night games, we got Bucks Timberwolves, pretty good one. Um, Bucks are favored by six points on the road. I think Timberwolves are still without Carl Anthony Towns, so that makes that makes sense. Um, ooh, we got a nice tasty matchup with the Phoenix Suns at home playing the undefeated Philadelphia 76ers. Sixers are actually favored by a point on the road in Phoenix. That's going to be an interesting game. I figured um, 
figure the Sixers would probably be given a little bit more, but um, Phoenix is undefeated against the spread so far this year, so that's a pretty good one. Um, anyway, um, so you can find that and all kinds of other lines, quarter lines, half lines, everything you could possibly want on mybookie.ag, all kinds of different sports. Now is the best time to get in on the action. If you sign up, use promo code, promo code OVERTIME, and they're going to match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME, and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Um, all right, let's let's go through. We, we, we've talked about this game for probably however many, however many minutes we've been talking about it. It's probably that many minutes too long. We're going to do a little buy-sell here. So a lot of talking points that are going to come out of tonight, a lot of talking points that have that have already, you know, been around and, and maybe got only accentuated um, by tonight's performance. Um, and, and we're going to each go through them and, and say, are we buying or selling this talking point? So let's start with this. Julius Randle. Um, what should we say the talking point is? Julius Randle needs to go to the bench. Julius Randle's a bust. What, what talking point do you want to start with regarding Julius Randle, uh, Jeremy? Oh, it's so hard to choose. I know. There's so many. <laughs> uh, I don't – let's just say Julius Randle has been a massive disappointment. Do you want to start with – let's keep it general. Sure. Um, I'm buying the talking point. Um. I am, for right now at least, I'm selling the call for him to go to the bench because I I just, I don't see that as something that you could sell um, to Randall. I don't see it as something that's going to go over well in this locker room. I know, you know, fans are going to be like, you know, he, this is supposed to be about accountability, and he clearly has played bad. He played awfully tonight. He played awfully, I want to say, one other game that they had. Um, but I think for the most part, Julius Randle's been better than his than his turnover numbers and his field goal percentage um, indicates. I, 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 I get that there will be a lot of calls for many things in regards to Julius Randle after this Kings game. I, I can't go there yet. Um, I, I just think... He is a guy that has spent his entire career kind of, you know, being able to do what he does on the floor without a whole lot of pressure. And I get that he played for the Lakers, which is obviously, you know, a a very prestigious organization. But those teams were bad. There was never any pressure on those teams. Um, And last year he was a third option in new Orleans. And now it's, he's the first option and he's a first option who needs to essentially play the role of point guard in the form of a power forward. Um, I'm, I'm taking a step back from the ledge from a lot of this Julius Randall talk. Where, where are you at with Randall? So here's where I actually started with Randall. Um, when the thought of the Knicks signing him as a backup plan first kind of came to fruition, I was very much against it. Um, I felt... As was I, by the way. Yeah, I felt like, all right, so Randall strikes me as the perfect player to pair with Kristaps Porzingis. Um, now that Porzingis is gone, I don't I don't necessarily see... You can bring in for other reasons, but I, I found that to be alluring at least the year prior, the summer prior when he was a, um, a free agent. Uh, and, the, and the Lakers let him go. With Randall, though, I was very concerned about a very long contract, very bloated contract 
for a guy who does not have a consistent track record of spacing the floor, whose defense is has been very suspect, who's great at the pick and roll, um, who's a smart player, who's a willing passer, or at least a good passer when willing, I didn't really want him. I I thought oh, and then it kind of came to all right, well, maybe if the Knicks strike out on the big guys, then I could see the Knicks signing Randall, but I swear to God, anything more than two years would be a nightmare. And so when the contract came in, I thought this is palatable. You know, this team's not really going anywhere this year. Same. And it's Same. unlikely to go next year. And it's a it's a non guaranteed you know, it's the third year is basically null and void. Like it's very easy to get out of it. So I thought, great, this is perfect. I still stand by the contract, um, but my fears from before seem to be realizing themselves through the first seven games, and I don't – I'm selling that he will go to the bench. I think he needs to start. I really do. Um, eventually, you could maybe test it out, but the I agree the optics are really bad if you move Randall to the bench. It's just yeah. asking for a volcano to erupt in it the is. locker you room. Don't, you don't go from this concept of having two elite players to having a guy who posted, what, 21 and 10 last year on really efficient numbers, or at least with fantastic true shooting percentage to uh, relegating him to the bench. That's just not something that is good. It's, it's um, There's a sunk cost fallacy here, and you have to kind of live with it. And good, I think with Good Morris, term. Good thank you term, very much. sir. Um, ironically enough, I – first learned about that in a psychology course because I believe it was um, it was either Eric Dampier or Brendan Haywood. Their contract was uh, was used as the example, and I've kind of just loved it ever since. And it's perfect. It's very applicable. So with, with Randall, I just – there's no reason to have him come off the bench as awful as he is. And you have to hope this is just a really bad start for him and kind of stick with it. With Morris, it's a very different story because, again, I mean I've kind of penciled him in as – being gone in December, but the truth is if the market's not opened up, then we could still be hanging on to Morris into so, the new year. So we should say, um, and I didn't I didn't see it, um, but Ian Bagley just, just tweeted out a few minutes ago that Marcus Morris said a few times after the game that David Fisdale is putting the players in the best position. Hold on. My phone just went black. In the best position to succeed, and it's their responsibility to execute. And obviously they did not execute, um, you know, in the beginning of the game. I, I'm i willing to give Randall time because he's not, he's not anywhere near, near this bad a player on offense. He is a incredibly gifted offensive player, and we've seen glimpses of that already this year. He's clearly, clearly, clearly struggling to find the balance between passing and getting his own. And I, like, I guess the reason I am, I'm skewing towards being more forgiving is that's a good struggle. We, we, we want him to have that struggle as opposed to just saying, F it, I'm going to go get my own. And even tonight, I didn't, like, there, again, yeah, sure, there were a couple instances of, like, maybe one or two. There was one bad turnover, but he only had one turnover tonight. It was bad, but it was only one. Um, I, I just think that's, that's like, you want him to have that struggle. Um, and I guess the other quote that we should say now is from the Berman piece from earlier today, before the game, which he quoted a person, uh, this is from the New York Post, quoted a person close to... Um, the situation, I'm assuming this 
is coming from someone in Randall's camp. It's tough for Julius not having a true playmaking point guard. Responsibility falls on him to facilitate, and with assists come turnovers. He's probably just frustrated because he has immense pride. I Like, that makes sense to me. The only thing that I'm going to get on him for, and this is the thing that you can't have your leader of your team do, is he let his offensive struggles affect how he defended tonight. And I thought his defensive performance on a few possessions that I noticed offhand, and I I haven't obviously gone back and watched the game, was really, really rough. And that's the one thing, like, that you can't can't see that. That's not okay. Uh, Like, you know... um, and that's where we're at with Julius. I just, you know, I feel for him on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, my God, come on. Um, get your shit together. So, yeah. Yeah, completely. Uh, um, all right. We've talked about Julius Randle a lot. Um, let's switch to the other topic of conversation, which is going to be very prevalent um, tomorrow, and then we'll we'll get through some other quick hitters. R.J. Barrett um, was good tonight. Um, he got pissed off there in the third quarter, which it was nice to see. He went on a little run himself, which was refreshing in a night where there was not much refreshing. He played 41 minutes. Um, he is leading the NBA in minutes. Um, he is leading the NBA in miles run per game, according to uh, Alex Kennedy of Hoops Hype. That tweet came out earlier today. Um, do you have a problem? with this and should Nick fans have a problem with this? Yeah, I'd say on a scale of one to 10, it's like a solid six. Okay. Just around there. You know, it's, it's not something where it's like, Oh my God, we have to, we have to panic about the fact that RJ Barrett is playing too many minutes. I get what Fizz is saying. You know, he's young, get him out there. But I, I'm concerned as to why, you know, if this is the thing that, that really confuses me. If Fizdale really wants to continue winning games, and there's no reason to think he wouldn't want to continue winning games, if there's even a 1% or even 0.1% chance that R.J. Barrett gets seriously hurt in a 20-point deficit to the Sacramento Kings at home, was was it really worth it to play him? I certainly don't think so. Fizdale's job, in a lot of ways, it feels like rests on what R.J. Barrett can and can't do. Why you wouldn't kind of parse out his minutes so that he's not running himself into the ground conceivably, I don't get it. I would I, – and again, I understand he's young, but he also uh, – Fizz said how load management is, is crap. Yeah, he and, said this after the game today. For anybody who missed the quote, he, he said uh, – he got annoyed basically at I, – I don't know who asked the question, but he, he mentioned that – Latrell Sprewell played 42 minutes a game, and it, which actually prompted me to go look up Sprewell's stats. Do you know for uh, yep for his I, career <laughs> for his career, Latrell Sprewell averaged 38.4.6. Excuse me, 38.6 minutes, um, including one year where he led the league at 43.1. So, but that that 43.1 is exactly what I was going to talk about because what Fizz is conveniently leaving out in terms of context is. Latrell Sprewell was 23 years old and had already played a season in the NBA. Yep. RJ Barrett is 19 and he's a rookie. So it's very – they're very different body types. We're also in a very different era. Um, um, uh, Terry was talking about this on Twitter. Where, and it's true. We're really gone from those days of, of toughness and you have to play all these minutes to show you're tough. You don't. 
you know, there's a reason why Pop rests his players. I think that's a smart thing to do when done in a way where it's, you know, like, oh, you know, we're, we're getting Kawhi Leonard and we're coming to a city near you and it's the one time we're going to be there and let's rest him. I think that's slightly problematic. I get why Pop wants to do it, but it's almost the antithesis of understanding a player. And Wally was talking about this afterwards on the postgame show and it seemed Alan Hahn was in favor of, keeping RJ off the floor and Wally really thought RJ needed to be out there. It's like, why wouldn't you want your best players if you're going to, you know, why not prevent a loss by 50? And I tweeted about this and it, that really pissed me off because it just, it's so goddamn dumb. Who cares if you lose by 50, by 25, by 10? If you're out of this game before the first half is even over, the score yeah, should not matter. I, I don't care. I, I'm with you. I don't care about that. Um, I guess where, where I'm getting hung up is, and this is, this is me just probably being too trusting. Like every NBA team has some semblance of a sports science department. Obviously the Knicks do. They have some person or people, a team of people, I would guess. They're doctors, the whole thing that like looks at this stuff. And they've clearly made an assessment that this is not something that is that is something they have to worry about. Um, this is not Fizz going rogue and like making this decision with his head in the sand. He's... You know, he has somebody, people, you know, talking in his ear about this. I, 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 for me, this is just me, but if they don't seem to think it's a problem, like, here's the thing. For as much as every Nick fan, me, you, you know, name anybody collectively has invested in this kid, it's not one one hundredth what the Knicks have invested in him. And if for one millisecond they thought that David Fisdale was going rogue here and, like, playing him to the detriment of, like, the long-term, like, health of him slash the organization, someone would step in and say something. And the fact that they clearly aren't means they've made an organizational decision to let this fly. Is that the right decision? Is that the wrong decision? Who the hell knows? Uh, we, I certainly don't have the capacity to make that decision. Neither do you. Neither does 99% of the people out there who are going to comment on this. Um, but I like that to me, that's where I, I come down and it's a matter of like, all right, well, the, is every one of these minutes valuable? You know, they seem to think it is. Um, and again, who's to say that it isn't, but that's me. I know I'm going to be in the minority on this. So, you but know, my, my big thing with it is, what happens if it's it's the more risk averse factor? Is, isn't right? that is that a slippery slope though? I don't think it is. Look, look at who is injured or who's not with the team, right? You've got Alfred Payton who's injured. You've got Dennis Smith Jr. who's away from the team. Reggie Bullock is injured. You're basically, I mean, your your season is probably done in a lot of ways to begin with. But what happens if you lose R.J. Barrett? Because you know, I, I'm I'm not trying to get extreme here but i look at a situation like with uh demarcus cousins and they're I, very different can very you really can, like how do you but, even begin I mean, i'm just to using compare. i'm not comparing i'm just using it as an example i'll put it that way they're very different situations they have very different body types they played seven different games but it's a sort of thing where and yes you're absolutely right it's hard for us to judge when we're very far removed from the process you'd have to imagine that the team of doctors in sports science, and even R.J. Barrett himself, know R.J.'s body far better than we do. Completely. 100%. But if you run yourself 
down um, if you're continuously going at it, especially in opportunities where maybe you don't really need to. Yes, you could get burned, but is that extra five minutes of clunky basketball necessarily going to pay off dividends in the long run? I don't think it is. I can't say it's impossible. You know, There could be something that RJ sees that just clicks and it pays off down the line and that helps his development. But I just – I don't understand what the need is there. If you're – it's just managing risk. I mean There's, no, you're right. No, yeah, look, you make, you make a very good point. I, I, it's I, not absurd. It's not like I can't believe Fizdale is doing this. But it's just a very – it's a situation where kind of scratching your head like, yeah, I, I see where Fizz is coming from. But if it's avoidable, then why not? It's, just a- it, it's an organizational decision that if the kid's – if the kid could play, he's going to play. Um, and there, it seems a little, uh, I'm trying to find the right word here. Um, simplistic maybe is maybe not the word, but it's like, it's like if you, when you have a philosophy that you're going to go with that philosophy regard, and, and you're not going to allow any nuance, maybe, is the is the correct term into how you execute that philosophy like gen, like generally speaking just in life that seems like it's not a good idea um intuitively um and yet on the other hand it's like i don't know do you, do you want to give them credit for believing in something and going with it i I'm, obviously most people don't but it's i don't know it, it's just i can't there's a lot of things i could work myself up over right now and and this just it isn't one of them. Let, let's move on. I can't talk about RJ minutes, RJ's minutes anymore. Hey, guys. You know what time it is. Of course, I am talking about our usual reminder to check in with our favorite ticket app, Vivid Seats. It's your top source for tickets and events you want to go to. And you know it's your top source because it's the only app that allows you to sort by price, look for seats in the section, your row of choice even, all in the Vivid Seats mobile app. And, of course, there's their loyalty program, which allows you to earn credit back. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. All you have to do, just go to the App Store, go to Google Play, and you'll automatically be enrolled. Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. Biggest concerts, games, theater, whatever you want. you got the holiday season coming up. You might have family coming to town. Best place to get tickets, Vivid Seats. Download the app. Join the royalty or rewards loyalty program today. And of course, enter promo code overtime at checkout and receive up to a discount of $100. We're, I, I, I was going to say our next topic is buying or selling. Is there too much switching going on? Um, we don't have to spend long on this one. I'm. This was obviously got a lot of attention last game when Frank was switched off Kemba for much of the evening. Tonight, they switched, and they didn't switch nearly as crisply as they did against Boston, and it showed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they went to some trapping in the second half, which had some decent moments and some not-so-decent moments. For me, I'm just happy they're picking a system and they're kind of going with it. And it's like I tweeted out the other day, perfect can be the enemy of the good, and... Clearly tonight the Knicks were not good, and uh, anyone complaining after the Boston game, like, go pop in a tape of what we just saw uh, against Sacramento, and then tell me that you had a problem with with what you saw in in Boston. I I don't have an issue with it. How how do you feel about the switching? 
I don't have a huge issue. It's a team looking to find a defensive identity. Exactly. And Fizz is going to try certain things. I don't think it's necessarily the best thing to do, especially long term. Um, no, no, and I, I agree right. with that. Yeah. But for, for just right now, if we're going to analyze a few games, sure. There are far bigger issues to tackle than switching on defense. I agree, which gets us to um, the reason that is that was a topic to begin with, which is Franklin Lakina. So we, we just spent a lot of time talking about how this team does not have someone who could break down um, a defense, which with the possible exception of Alonzo Trier, um, and we'll, we'll get to him next. Uh, what, where are we at with Frank at this point? I mean, I think, you know, he's played so well on defense. I thought his defense tonight, I mean, he had a couple silly fouls, but it was, you know, they were better on defense when he was out there. Um, the ball moves when he's out there more better. Um, I, I, I think I'm ready to say that like, he is if he's ever going to be a starter on a on a good team it's going to be with some really really non-traditional good pieces that can do a lot of the stuff that point guards typically do um you know but more likely whether it's here or somewhere else his role is going to be as like you know a first or second guard off the bench maybe plays 20 minutes a night more or less some evenings it's kind of where i'm at with frank at this point um, have where are you, Jeremy? Where where are you with our French son? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat again. I don't know if he can really thrive on this team long term. At least I don't necessarily see it under Fizdale, and I it's almost like Fizdale has played Frank out of necessity. I actually looked it up. So um, Frank had those two DNPs, and after the second DNP, the Knicks ranked. 30th in transition defense. Um, You're talking about this season. That that was something that we had, that we discussed before. Yes. Right. Yeah. So after that and the games following, and again, each of the, each sample size is incredibly small, but not including the Kings game of the games that followed where Frank played, the Knicks went from 30th to 15th. Yeah. Is that all because of Frank? Definitely not. Absolutely not. But he's the first domino though. Exactly. He, he sets a tone. Yeah. Yes. So if Fizz really wants to be this defensive-minded coach, then it makes sense to continue playing Frank even after other guards come back. I, a lot of it is unfortunate. You know, I mean, he had what, two points tonight, right? Oh, I don't even I, – I think, yeah, he had, he had two points, points on a cut he, that RJ – did RJ hit him on a cut or Randall hit him on a cut, one or the other? Yeah, but the th- <laughs> like the funny thing to me was that he had two points and he didn't even make a basket tonight. And that's you know it's not a sharp criticism at him. I I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, Frank's really going to turn out into whatever he wants to be from an offensive standpoint. We know he's going to be a good defender. We know that his passing is good. We know that he's a smart player. We know that his dribble is far more improved. There's a lot that's going on with him, and I think it's just going to take time for him to get there. And it's whether or not he's allowed the time here for that to happen. And I really don't know. I I still don't believe he's the starting guard of the future for this team. And that's okay. That's not even me rationalizing. It's like looking at at all of the eighth picks overall and the people who are usually taken in that range. And if you said, hey, in this 
in this range, I can find you a quality rotation player who can help make your defense a lot better. And offense isn't great, but there's room to grow. I'd say, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, and and that's that's a lot better than what else I could get. And that's fine, you know. And it's, it's, I'm so sick and tired of having to argue for him because. I just I wish we could just analyze him like a normal player. And if we were analyzing him like a normal player, and I wasn't, and me and you both, and so many other people were weren't so often, like with our backs up against the wall, like trying to make the arguments for for why this kid should get real time in the NBA. I mean, the, you know, the simple assessment is he just like I I just don't know how you start a point guard on a really really good team that. Um, that doesn't get into the lane, and I just don't know that we're ever going to see that um, from him, given his skill set. I hope I'm wrong, um, you know. But I mean, it's tough. Not it's again. This is these are current. This is after the Kings game tonight. That the Knicks have a, a 92.7 offensive rating with him on the floor in 107 minutes. In the 102 minutes that Alfred Payton played, they had 112 offensive rating with Payton on the floor. Um, that's not like you. It, you can't. It's a big difference. No, it's a huge difference. Um, it's a, it's a massive difference. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I he I, I my I guess my hope at this point is when Peyton comes back for you know maybe Peyton goes back into the starting lineup, juices that a little bit because it can't get much worse than it is right now. But Frank still sees twenty minutes a game, maybe a little bit more. Um, which leaves the next question. Um, are we buying or selling Alonzo Trier as part of the Knicks rotation? I, I don't even want to – I can't even talk about Trier anymore. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I don't. I'm past the point of really caring much. Yeah, but <laughs> is uh, – okay, let's phrase it like this. It, how – we just got done talking for the the large majority of the last 40 minutes – about how a penetrating guard, like we've danced, we keep dancing around it. A penetrating guard would do wonders for this team. Alonzo Trier is a penetrating guard. He could get into the lane. He could get to the basket. We saw him do it tonight, several mm-hmm. times. We've seen him do it this season. We saw him do it last year. We also saw him tonight and other other evenings. Absolutely, like just not give any semblance of a shit. Not even a little. Not even a pebble of a shit on defense for possessions at a time. How do you reconcile that? Like, how do you reconcile that? And you throw in, and, we, and granted, he moved the ball tonight. I don't think he was selfish tonight in any way. Uh, if there was a possession where he was selfish, I can't remember it. Maybe there was, I think, one shot. There was a three that he took that was like, eh. But they were down by 20-whatever, and it's like, I, I could almost forgive it. Yeah, uh, there's also a step back mid-range that he took. Oh, was there? It was, there? Like, okay. it, was it was very predictable. Okay, um, I, I forgot that it. one and, then. I must have I mean, blocked created, it out. Yeah, he created space, and I get it, but at the same time, it was like I, maybe there are better shots. Um, yeah, there was one play in particular that I didn't love, which was when Deeron Fox went straight to the hoop because oh, that was when 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 he started <laughs> looking around for help. Before yep. the, the the ball was even through the hoop, but he didn't even force. Oh. He, he basically let Deer and Fox go with his dominant hand on the left side, and then Randall had to kind of kind of rush over, and they fouled Fox, and he hit both free throws. Like, how do you, <laughs> how do you even look at your teammates 
after you allow literally the fastest guard in the league to go with his dominant hand unabated to the basket. Like, I don't, there's a part of me that wants to say, I don't care how many points you could score or how much you could juice the offense. If you put a guy like that on the floor, you're just sending the wrong message. Yeah. And I think there was a reason why he was a DNP for a few games. And what I find to be fascinating, and I, I don't know if this is because of the first round pick status or just because we love defense or what it is. But when Frank was was um, a DNPCD, everyone was clamoring, we want Frank, play Frank. And then Fizz finally puts him. Zoe doesn't play for a few games and it's very quiet. And I think that the fan base is kind of largely in agreement that, okay, he yeah, he's a good scorer. Yeah, he does things well. We can appreciate it. But you then see nights like tonight and it feels like he contributes more – bad than good and then he'll have you know like that the second game of the season where he went off for 22 points he was very efficient from the floor and then it's just that game is sandwiched in between two really awful offensive games and I, I don't even feel like we need to mention much of the defensive side because we know what we're getting with him yeah and it's it's a shame because he is just he is he is an otherworldly talented player on offense. Um, I know he had a couple turnovers tonight, which were like, I think one was a palming and the other was maybe a two palmings, I think, or whatever you want to call it, carry or, you know, they were turnovers. I, I don't know. Like I said, talking about Trier gives me more of a headache than talking about anybody else on this team. So we're going to not talk about him anymore. And we're going to move on, get to our last couple topics. Okay. Um, are we buying or selling? Well, we t- we touched on this already. Portis was in the starting lineup. All right, let's, let's take it from the Mitch angle. Are we buying or selling that there is any scenario where Mitch coming off the bench is the correct, um, I want to say, big picture organizational decision for this team? And I'm inclined to say yes, that the, it, I, I could see a scenario, but I'm not sure that scenario could actually play out on this team with this roster given everything that's going on. Where where are you at with, with Mitch? I think you could sell it as saying, well, on one hand, Mitch should be starting. But on the other hand, isn't it great that he's seeing significant minutes with Kevin Knox considering how Knox is coming off of the bench? Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I would like to see Mitch start. I think defensively speaking, it sets more of a tone. As we mentioned it's very easy to see why Fizz is trying to spice things up by throwing Portis in there and spacing things out a little bit more. I think if you really, really wanted to convince yourself that having Mitch come off the bench is a positive thing, you probably could do it. Long term, you know, the goal is for him to be a starter. In fact, it's for him to, to have a higher ceiling than that. He's a he's a cornerstone of the franchise, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I still think so. But Absolutely. So with that said, yeah, you could rationalize it. I I I don't think this is the biggest issue to have with the team, um, and and he played well tonight. So maybe if you have him in smaller doses, it's kind of like with Knox. I'm afraid that Knox getting even more significant minutes yeah. at this point in time will expose him and. I think he's found a really great role for where he's at right now. I agree. And he can kind of expand as time goes on. I want to say that's Mitch, but we also saw what Mitch was able to accomplish last year. And there were games where he was otherworldly. So 
Is it a sophomore slump? Is he regressing? Is he just having some off games? Is he hurt? What is exactly going on? Well, the finger was bothered. So he, for those who don't know, he sprained his finger or jammed his finger, I guess, against Boston. It was, he was they commented on the broadcast that he was kind of tugging at it several times tonight. It was just, you know, it's not good. Um, yeah, I, um, I don't know. I, I don't have a, like I said, I don't have a huge, I'm with you. I don't have a huge issue with it, but at the same time, I, I just, there's a big part of me that would just like them to be like, okay, this guy's going to be our center for the next 10 years. We're just going to go ahead and leave him in the starting lineup and, and we will, we will work around any issues that come up as opposed to having him be the thing that gets worked around, so to speak. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. All right, let's let's skip to our last our last two. All right, I there's a part of me that feels icky, um, even bringing up a, a trade thing. But I just I know with their record and with the Warriors' record, this is going to be a topic of conversation. So let's just get out of the way. Is there any scenario where come I guess it won't happen until December fifteenth? Um, you would be an advocate for trading for D'Angelo Russell. No, you are. So you're 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 outright selling that. I like it, by the way. I'm I'm, 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 I want I'm, no part in D'Angelo Russell. I'm I am outright selling it too. I saw somebody. I forget if it was if it was in a DM or somebody just added me or whatever. Like, what was the what was the pitch? It's like Knox. Knox, Frank, you know, salary and like two first round picks for D- and like thinking to myself, I I don't know if if you gave him to me for free right now at his salary, I don't know. That's that exactly I, it. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, okay. We're I, I I mean we're both vehemently in disagreement of this. Is what what would be the argument? I guess the argument would be for regardless of what you would have to give up. His presence alone would juice the offense, which would maybe hinder the development of the other young guys. But like, I don't like that's he's not the guy. He's not the guy. I'm just I'm sorry. He's he's not he's not the guy that I'm giving up the the full boat for. Um, the guy we saw tonight, I would give up my. I don't even want to say what I would give up. I would give up a lot for him, but. Uh, well, clearly the Knicks tried to give up Porzingis for him. <laughs> clearly still clearly they it. did. Yeah. Too bad that didn't work out. <laughs> oh, goodness I think gracious. I think the argument you could make for D'Angelo Russell was exactly what you were laying out earlier in the episode. The Knicks need someone who's a good passer, who drives, who can shoot. That's – I mean D'Angelo Russell drove 12 oh, times per game last year. He can do – he could do all those things. And yet – and now granted, he's played five games – only five, but he's shooting right now 38% from the floor, 31% from three. Is he really? Yep. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize that the numbers were that bad. Okay. Yeah, he's um, he's shooting 16.6. He's averaging 16.6 shots a game. And so for me, it's just, okay, why are we taking on a max contract for a non-max player? And... I don't want to say it's Tim Hardaway Jr. because he's he's far better than Tim Hardaway Jr. is. You but, know, but it feels like it's of we, that caliber. Are where it's we just, really though? Sure, are we really sure? I saw. Well, we all saw what happened last year in the playoffs. I'm being a little facetious, but of course, of course. And I, 
I get what you're saying, but it seems like they're in that caliber of overpaid players who, you know, D'Angelo Russell's 23. Great, but I'm still very concerned about how he can be as a winning player. I don't think he can be... I don't think he can be paid what he's being paid and be on a really good team, yeah. especially as a first option. No, I, I, be I, a first or second option. And again, it's just high volume. It's, it feels like empty calories in a lot of ways. And I'd really like to see what he does in a system that isn't Kenny Atkinson's. And we're kind of seeing it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's not, it's not going super great so far. Yeah. I, I He's just, he's just not the answer. And I think trading pieces that you have for something that isn't worth the collection of those pieces, it, there's no viable reason to me why you do it. If anything, you try to keep collecting assets to build for a player who is is a better player who's either paid similarly or is about to get paid on a huge contract, sort of like a restricted free agent sort of situation, and you address it from there. But, or, or you just – you draft your point guard of the future um, in 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 June when it looks like the Knicks are probably going to have another uh, half decent pick. So, yeah, um, I, I, it's amazing. Ask me of all the places I thought I would be after seven games of the season and sitting and being like, "When is Alfred Payton going to get back?" is not one of the things that would have been on my list, and yet here we are. Yeah, that's um, what I was saying in the article how. It's so infuriating that – and this was, of course, before he went down where it was like it's so maddening that we are relying on Alfred Payton playing. Like he's he's indis- he's so indispensable because of the situation that's going on around no, him. No, but, it, but it, it matters because, again, this whole, the whole year is about having these young guys be in a situation that is conducive to growth. And that means putting them in situations that are that – are, that resemble real like – normal NBA like things mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was not what you saw tonight because normal NBA situations have spacing and movement and, and whatnot uh well I shouldn't say movement there was movement tonight anyway all right our last topic um before we get the hell out of here David Fisdale um we heard um I guess at the garden tonight there was some fire Fisdale chance they will not be the last ones if if the play continues like it did tonight. Um, we've talked about a lot of issues tonight with the roster, with how these pieces fit, with guys that aren't here. Um, we haven't talked about the coach. And, you know, I, I it's weird. I, I don't think that they came out tonight ill-prepared to play. Um, I thought they definitely lacked a spark. Mark Mike Breen said it several times. They lacked a spark, but there and there were a couple shots you didn't love to start out the game. Um, not terrible shots, but not the best shots either. It, I guess at this point it's like, okay, here, how about this? Are you buying or selling that Fisdale? See, there's two separate questions. There's are you buying or selling that Fisdale is the solution still potentially, and then the other question is are you buying or selling that Fisdale is actually the problem? And I'm not buying that he's the he's the problem, but I'm also not buying that he's the solution, which leaves us fuck where I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying that he's definitely not the solution, 
But I guess it's like a, a soft buy on that he's the problem. A, a soft lot of it comes buy. down. To, I, soft I don't buy. know how else you like. You know, if I have to pick one, I'm gonna I'm gonna say buy it. I just Again. love the terminology today. I really <laughs> am enjoying that you're going with the economics tilt. You're going with the philosophy. You know, it's it's all it's all good. It's well, all this is Nick's film school. There's got to be some <laughs> love over. Yes, there does. Um, with Fizdale, you know, I do. There are, there are moments where I do feel for him because he came here and. He basically thought when he was – there came a point where it was like, look, we're going to get you some really good players or we're at least going to be in a, in a position to get you some really good players yeah. and you're going to be able to coach them and you're great at egos and massaging them and, and managing culture and just think how great it's going to be. And You make it sound lovely, Jerry. Right. I gotta say. Well, I should have been in that pitch I guess for, for <laughs> Kawhi and KD and anyone else. but. Yeah. Nonetheless, as we know, it didn't happen. So from that point, it's kind of like you can't say to Fizdale, like, oh, well, we don't really want you because we. it's a hard sell to have to other people where it's like we only got Fizdale for one reason and we whiffed on that one reason. There's definitely a development part to it, and it's very hard to see what's going on behind closed doors with the development. But with Fizdale, it's kind of like, I get where he's coming from that he maybe doesn't have the talent he wants and that falls on Steve Mills and Scott Perry but it also falls on the roster itself not being a little bit more malleable because we know these players can play to a different level and as he was saying things take time and habits take a while to form and yet there's just so much out there you're scratching your head and you can't even give him – the benefit of the doubt seemingly or at least you i know you specifically john can and do yeah but for many it's just kind of like it seems like you, what you're saying isn't what you're doing and the the sales you know the um used car salesman is certainly something i know you've said that you like that in the past and to me it's like if i had a friend who said they're going to do something and then did something that was the polar opposite or close to it that person really wouldn't be my friend I wouldn't really enjoy those characteristics of someone who goes back on what they are really saying. And so that's kind of where I go at with Fizdale. It's like, yeah, um, there are moments where he surprises me. Like with the Celtics game, he coached very well. And if the Knicks hit a few more free throws, we're talking about the Knicks storming into TD Garden, winning their second early season game against the Celtics uh, in in back-to-back years. And that's great. Now they're... Two and five as opposed to one and six, a different story. And yet that didn't happen. It it just it flat out didn't no, happen. No, look, they're look, just there's they're one and six. Like, yeah. They're one and six, and he's the head coach of a team that's one and six, and um Yeah. I'll we could talk we could sit here and talk for another hour about all the reasons why they're one and six and how those you know, maybe don't have anything to do with David Fisdale, but um, it is his his deal. I guess, I guess the the biggest thing for me still is it's, and I I I know people aren't going to want to hear this. Like bad bad franchises react to seven games with a, a roster that is literally sixty six percent brand new. Um, that's what bad franchises do, and we've 
spent now um, over two years praising the fact that seemingly for the first time in 20 years, this organization has like bought into a set like plan, a set way of doing things. And I know it seems like that, you know, it's different moving parts at, 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 at times, but like if you really care to take the time to look and, and not be cynical, um, like we've talked about this, God knows how many times there, there is a, there is a path that you could see the path. You could see it. And it, it went awry this summer, but they tried to do their best to get stay on the path, and, and now here we are. And it's seven games in, and I just, for the life of me, I can't, I can't get behind anything that is, it would even begin to think that making a determination after seven games with a brand-new roster is a good idea, especially when five of those games have been pretty damn good. Um, considering and a half of a game was good and the second half of the home opener was terrible and then tonight you could throw tonight the whole thing pretty much in the terrible category so you know um, that's where I'm at um, I, I they just they need to get some wins in these next seven games before they they go on that that crazy crazy stretch where they just play a bunch of playoff teams Um and I don't know if they're going to be able to do it, but they uh, they got to try. They got to try. Jeremy, anything else from you? Anything we should look forward to this week, or you know, or, or are you? What, what are you up to? Um, well, I'm gonna. I know Alex has a piece that sounds great, and I'm I'm gonna keep it quiet because I don't want to say too much about it. But from everything that he and I have discussed about it, it's gonna be really exciting. So I'm gonna plug his. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's about it because I. It's, it's Alex uh, Collins, by the way. Of, yes, of, Alex of Collins. Nick's film school. Exactly. I think this is is this is like I think this might be his first piece that he has actually. He's t- always talked about writing a piece for us. I think this is his first piece this year, maybe. Maybe he, he did saying? one last year. I forget. I gotta. Yeah. I gotta look that up. But I, I'm really excited for it because it's a very relevant and interesting topic. Yes. So that'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, that's um, that's about it for me because I, I it's gonna be a short week for me. Um, a short week for you. Why is it? Wait, why is it going to be a short week for you? I'm going to. Oh, that's uh, right. Land of beer and cheese. That's Wisconsin. right. Wisconsin. That's right. That's right. We're not gonna. We're not. Gonna, there's a special guest. Uh, guest co-host taking your place next weekend. Who I'm not going to spoil, but um, it's it's somebody good. Yeah, that's right. When are you leaving? I leave Wednesday night. I've got a Spirit Airlines flight at 10 p.m. Oh. into Chicago and then taking a bus from Chicago to Madison. Be careful with Spirit Airlines. They are uh, – they are – they could they could, they could could get you – they could screw you. Yeah, That's yeah, they absolutely suck. Yeah. Anyway, all right, Jeremy, um, it was yeoman's work to come on here and talk for an hour about this team after what we just saw. But we are professionals, and that is what we do. For the people, of course, out there. You, the Nick fan. Um, thank you for listening to another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We will be back with you with another episode um, coming up earlier this week. I have someone that um, actually covers the Pistons coming on to talk a little bit about the upcoming game against Detroit. Um, maybe dabble in some trade conversation with the Pistons. We'll see if it, if it gets to that. Um, and, yeah, something to look forward to. 
Until then, have a good start to your week, and we will talk to you soon.